to the RPC Sermons Podcast. You can join us for virtual worship every Sunday at roswellpress.org. Thanks for listening. Again, welcome to Roswell Presbyterian Church. It's great to be in worship with you this morning. I want you to know that we're still taking nominations for elders. So if you know somebody who's wise, who loves this church, who wants the best for it, Consider nominating them to be an elder for the next three years. They lead the congregation in its mission and its ministry. And we're really blessed to have always had just fantastic classes of elders here at the church, which allows us to move from strength to strength. So if you know of somebody who God might be calling, please nominate them. We should have some boxes out here out by the coffee and upstairs outside the back sanctuary doors. Go and listen to Dan's fantastic sermon from last Sunday. You can listen on the church website or wherever you get podcasts. We try to get those things out so people can be blessed in the easiest way possible uh, with the good news. Today we're going to look at Genesis 11 and the story of the Tower of Babel. And on my reading, the Tower of Babel story is really about two things. Number one, it's about pride. And the second, it's about technology. Some of you are like, huh? We'll stay around for 22 and a half minutes, and we'll see. All right, let's open our hearts and our minds for the word of the Lord from Genesis 11, verses 1 through 9. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as they migrated from the east, they, come upon a, they came upon a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. And then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we shall be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which mortals had built. And the Lord said, look, they are one people and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. Nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language there so that they will not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, I ask in the next few moments you might be our teacher, that you might speak a word to our hearts that only you can speak. We know this was written down thousands and thousands of years ago, but Lord, I think it points to a timeless truth, and I pray that that truth might be spoken today. Not my words, but your words. Now may the medita- words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. There's a famous story in the 1890s in Paris, France, where the three renowned artists were hanging out, Edgar Degas, Jean-Louis Ferrain, and Pierre-Auguste Renoir. And they were looking at this device that Renoir had just brought into his home. The device was something that they had all heard about, but they'd never seen for themselves before. And this device was the telephone. Yeah. And they were trying to describe to one another how it worked. 
One of them asked, so when the bell rings, you get up and answer it? And Farane says, yes, why certainly. And then sitting back, looking at all this, Degas says, I see, just like a servant. Degas noticed that his friends had already been subordinated to the telephone. They had already made themselves slaves to this new technology. Oh, if they could see us now. In our day, I don't think anyone can escape the slavery of the cell phone. Someone recently sent me a list titled, Cell Phones in Church by Generation. (laughs) Generation Alpha, roughly under five. They watch YouTube videos with earphones on, on their parents' phone to keep them from disrupting the service. Generation Z, say five to 23, they they take selfies and play with filters during the service. If you confront them, they claim to be using the Bible app. (laughs) Millennials, uh, so something like 24 to 38, they watch church on, on their phone at home instead of coming to church. Generation X, roughly 40 to 60, they scroll through their phone during the service and use Google to fact check the the preacher. (laughs) Boomers. Phone rings at full volume during sermon. They let it keep ringing and let it go to voicemail. (laughs) And the silent generation. (laughs) Phone rings at full volume during sermon. They answer it. (laughs) And tell the caller they're in church and will call back in a little while. I've seen all of these happen in our services. If we are not careful, technology will make slaves out of all of us. And in our text today, we read about the story of the Tower of Babel. And this is the first time in Scripture where we see humans use technology to achieve their desires. They all come together. They look at each other and they say, let us make bricks. Let us make bricks. They take God, a God-given creation, and use it for their own purposes to achieve their own desires. And so they build themselves a city and a tower that reaches to the heavens. They use the materials of earth to create, to innovate, to adapt, to achieve their desires. And this is what we all do, right? We have the We take the stuff we have at hand and use it to create. Some of us will take wood and we'll build a table so people can eat at it. Others will make a sandbox. Some of us take our money and we use it to turn it into food and clothes and sports memorabilia. (laughs) We take what we have, what God has given us, and we transform it. We adapt it. We use it to create. We do it to 
achieve our desires, to get what we want. So we better be very careful about what we want. The Christian tradition has always warned human beings to be careful about their desires, about desiring certain things. The people in Babel, they want to build a tower. Did you, did you see why they want to build a tower? Did you see that in verse 4? Listen to this. They said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves. Some translations have, let us make our name great. Let us make a name for ourselves. And here we see the root of all human sin. Did you know this is the root sin? Pride. Let us use technology to reach the heavens, to make a name for ourselves. Throughout human history, I think this is the impulse of the human heart to make our name, a name for ourselves, to make our name great. We see this throughout human history. If I took you to Egypt, we could go to the pyramids and we could go inside and you'd look and the pharaohs have written their name so that someone might remember them long after they're gone. Or what do benefactors do? Put my name on a building so people will know I was here. We name our companies after our last names, the Ford Motor Company. Why? So that it will go on long after we have passed. Make our name great. We aren't so different than those people at Babel. The problem is, is whenever we want to make our name great, the technology we use tends to overtake us. It has a way of seducing us enslaving us even. Traditional theology affirms three omnis of God. The God is omniscient or all-knowing, omnipotent, all-powerful, and omnipresent. God is everywhere. And I think modern technology is so seductive because it tries to take the place of God in quite literally these three areas. Omniscience, technology, tempts us into thinking we can be all-knowing. Now in our hands, we have the ability to access almost an infinite amount of information. We can check our spelling at the flick of a button. We can find our, the fastest way home almost instantaneously. In our pockets, we carry a library, a phone book. I read, in fact, that in 2013, the two years prior to that, 90% of the world's information was created. Two years, 90%. Technology aspires and tempts us to be like God in that way. Omnipotence. Technology tempts us into thinking we can be all powerful. How many of you just love controlling the temperature of your home from the church service? <laughs> we can listen. I love this. We can listen to whatever music we want to wherever and whenever. It's incredible. We can enter virtual and augmented realities. We think we can be like God. Or omnipresence. Technology makes us think we can be everywhere. Who has a security camera at their home so that you can pay attention if there are any robbers or thieves that come when you're gone. You're tracked by the products you buy, the websites you visit, what's called surveillance capitalism. You're being watched everywhere. 
And our technology reveals an aspiration to be like God. But you know what's true about towers? No matter how tall you build them, they're still stuck to the ground. And when human beings forget that we are from the ground, from the earth, the dust, the soil, oh, we lose track of our humanity, our humanness. We come from dust to dust and ashes to ashes. We have to remember the limits of this technology or it can end up enslaving us. I looked for kind of the most drastic example I could. Read a story in the New Yorker about this epidemic that's happening in Japan. It was about this counselor who helps intervene for this kind of group of young people called the Hikamori. The Hikamori are folks that wrestle often with despair, depression, often suicide. So much so that they never leave their rooms and they spend all of their time gaming and on the internet. Their parents are required to bring them food. This is not an isolated case. There are hundreds of thousands of Hikamori living in Japan. And oftentimes this counselor will be brought in to speak to these young people. And they've never left their room. They've never experienced life. And he begins to try to speak into their despair and to their darkness. And he'll say, what if you only had a year to live? What would you do? What if you only had six months to live? How about a month, a week? What if you only had an hour? And through this process, often they're brought to tears as they're woken up to their lives. And he says about this one patient he met with who's 38. and said he was on the edge of despair. And he said, the strange thing was, is if this guy had never really lived, how could, did he know he wanted to die? And this counselor, all he was trying to do was to get people to wake up. The worship of technology can prevent us from ever truly living. One of the great books to prevent this comes in 2010. This meteorologist, technologist named Douglas Rushkoff. It's called Program or Be Programmed, 10 Commands for a Digital Age. And his second command I really like, it's called Live in Person. He writes this, digital technologies are decentralized technologies. They work from far away, exchanging intimacy for distance. This makes them terrifically suitable for long distance communication and activities, but rather awful <laughs> for engaging with what or who is right in front of us. By using a dislocating technology for local connection, we lose our sense of space and place as well as our home field advantage. By trying to be omnipresent everywhere, we end up being nowhere and fail to be present to who we are. How many of you have been to dinner and you look across the restaurant and you see a couple sitting at the table and they're both on their phones and they never engage with one another? I always walk over and kind of knock them and go, there she is, man. <laughs> In many ways, technology is making us, uh, should we say, stupider? <laughs> this past week, I had the opportunity, I read, heard an interview with George, the writer, fiction, nonfiction, George Saunders. It reminded me of this essay he wrote a number of years ago called The Brain Dead Megaphone. The Brain Dead Megaphone. And it starts out with a parable. He says, imagine you're at a party in a room full of people. 
And everybody's in conversation with one another. And then walks in a guy with a megaphone. Now he's not the smartest person at the party. He's not the most experienced. He's not the most articulate, but he's got the megaphone. And so he goes into the, the middle of the room and he begins to talk into the megaphone. And what happens? Well, people turn to listen. People begin to agree and disagree with whatever he's saying. And because he's so loud, he's got the megaphone, all the individual conversations tend to orient around whatever he's saying. These responses occur, not because he's the smartest, not because he's the most experienced or wise. Why? Because he has the megaphone. Saunders says, in time, the megaphone guy will ruin the party. <laughs> he defines the megaphone as this, the composite of the hundreds of voices we hear each day that come to us from people we don't know via high-tech sources. We must be careful whom we allow to be the megaphone in our lives. What is the voice you hear speaking in the background of your life? Who has the megaphone? You don't have to look too far to see a dystopian future. I mean, this is why we have our kids read 1984 and Brave New World, Hunger Games, and Super Sad True Love Story, Terminator 1 through 4. <laughs> the futurist Jaron Lanier wrote this book called You Are Not a Gadget. And he was at the South by Southwest Festival speaking in Austin, Texas a number of years ago. And he asked his audience, much to their surprise, he said, put down your cell phone. I don't need you to tweet, blog, or write anything. If I say something worth remembering, you'll remember it. And then at the very end, he has this line, and I just love it. He says, you must first discover who you are before you share yourself. You must discover yourself before you share yourself. It's no accident. Sounds very similar to the fourth century theologian Irenaeus. Very different time, very different place. Says, the glory of God is the human being fully alive. The glory of God is the human being fully alive. So how can we become fully alive? Thousands and thousands of years after the story of the Tower of Babel was written down, Jesus comes. He ministers. He teaches. He eventually suffers execution. He's dead three days, and then God rises, raises him from the dead. He speaks to his disciples, and he says, go to Jerusalem and wait for me there, and I will send my spirit upon you. And then he ascends to the right hand of the Father. Well, his disciples and his followers are waiting in Jerusalem for them, and they're surrounded by Gentiles, people from all over the world. And suddenly, out of nowhere, the spirit, like a rushing wind, comes in. They see tongues of a flame like fire. And each of his followers begins speaking in different languages. But they're all telling the same message, the good news of the story of Jesus. And the crowds that are around begin to hear the story of Jesus in their own language. And what we see in Acts 2 is the undoing of what we see in Genesis 11. Where Genesis 11, God comes down and diversifies and confuses, and so humans are trapped in disagreement because of the diversity of their languages. What we see in Acts 2 is we see diversity, yes, but we see a unity in their message. That the Spirit has come among us 
to enhance our diversity and to make us unified in Jesus Christ. And today, we're gonna celebrate communion together. And we're gonna acknowledge all of us are different. We all are unique. We have different gifts, passions, callings. But we are all united by God's spirit in Jesus Christ. Not to make our name great, not to build towers to the heavens, but to love, to serve, and be generous with ourselves, with one another, and the world. And that's the good news of the gospel. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we pray that we might not waste our lives trying to build towers to the heavens, but Lord, that we might, by your spirit, hear your call to serve and to love. Lord, that this community might be a place where, yes, we are diverse. We come from all sorts of different backgrounds and places. We're gifted and called in unique ways. But amidst our diversity, Lord, must we remember the unity we have in you by your spirit. In your name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to the RPC Sermons Podcast. Please let us know you're here by visiting roswellpress.org and signing our digital friendship register. May the grace and love of God be with you today and throughout the rest of your week. Thanks for listening.